it's a battle. It's like all these different companies are in a battle for who can do the most fun, the biggest, the baddest, the coolest looking, and we are the benefits. The free market, <laughs> when it's a battle like that, we are the benefit. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 58, we welcome back Brian Kennedy, otherwise known as BKXC in the world of YouTube. Brian is a guy who has made traveling to different trails and trail communities his job, all in the name of sharing these places with you. In this episode, we discuss Brian's 50-state shred, his six-week-long staycation in the land of Oz Trails, aka Bentonville, Arkansas, and his latest endeavors of Everstoke and Trail One Components. If you want to learn more about Brian, you can check out episode three of the Trail Effect podcast, where Brian tells you everything about his backstory and some of the most epic places he's traveled to. You should also check out BKXC in the world of YouTube, where Brian is dropping fresh content multiple times a week. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and sells the cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. If you like this podcast, tell a friend or a bunch of friends about the show. Also, please subscribe wherever you consume your podcasts. This will ensure that you always get the latest Trail Effect episodes, and it will help the podcast gain more traction, especially after relaunching on this new feed. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Here we are today with Trail Fact. I have Brian Kennedy, otherwise known as BKXC in the world of YouTube and everything else. How's it going today, Brian? I'm doing great. I'm out here on the side of the road off of I-5 calling in. Yeah. So we did this, we did an interview before when you were doing the 50 state shred, you're able to stop into lacrosse, Wisconsin during your 50 state shred. And we took you for a ride and showed you some new trails. And then we also sat down and recorded. Yeah. So, I remember. Didn't we get a burrito after? We got a burrito at the burrito house. <laughs> that was great. Since we recorded, you've completed the 50 state shred and you've done a lot of other things. How was the uh, 50 state shred for you? And let's, let's kind of get a recap of what that, how that all went down. Yeah, it was pretty dang cool. 49 states I was able to get to. Hawaii was still pretty locked down. And I was just thinking recently, how many people in the year 2020 actually traveled to 49 states? I, I can't imagine there's many, but I had my van and I could drive around. And then I flew to Alaska, of course, but they were open for business at that time. So it was really quite cool when everything was kind of crazy. I could still get out, get on my bike and get my videos uploaded. And I got, got a lot of messages and comments from people saying, wow, that was so cool when we're all locked down and we can't do anything that you're able to get out there and ride your bike. Yeah. And I think in the, in the beginning, you, you kind of detoured a little bit, didn't you? You were going to go out and then COVID hit. And so then you kind of had to regroup and figure out a new game plan. Definitely. That was a, a huge part of it, of like the unknown. I was staying at my buddy Seth from Burn Peak, his house. 
and it was like the lockdown thing was happening and I was just like, ah, I'm just going to head back home. Who knows how long this is going to take and what's going to happen. And then during that whole time, I met my now wife, Sarah, and I convinced her to say, hey, how about we come back to California because she was working remotely. It was kind of the ultimate time to take advantage of, hey, we could just hang out at my house for the un who knows for how many more weeks or months and kind of get to know each other enough to see if a long distance relationship or close distance relationship would actually work. And it worked and we're all good. Well, congratulations on that, too. That's a pretty new wedding as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Back in June. I don't even remember. <laughs> June 21st. I'm going to have to look that up. Maybe it was July. Actually, it was July. <laughs> I like it. I like the funniness. So when you did the 50 state shred, what is there any stories that stick out to you as far as like maybe unique stuff or just anything that really like sticks out in your head from that the 49 states that you visited? Yeah, man, it was it's just neat time and time again. I always when I started this channel, I thought, oh, I'm just going to go ride these great trails and show these trails off. But then I end up meeting people like you along the way, people who are involved with the trail stewardships and people who have all these amazing stories about how their trails got built or how they maintain their trails. And now I have friends all over the world. And I just really never expected to have all these cool, loose tie, loose acquaintance friends that are really cool that if I'm rolling through and hey, I'm coming through, let's go for a ride. And it, it just it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And since you did the 50 state shred, you spent like six weeks in the land of Oz. Yeah. Yeah. Arkansas, man. It's so funny because uh, I was just doing a ride with a couple guys in Santa Barbara and they were asking, oh, you know, if you were going to go somewhere, where would you go? And man, Northwest Arkansas, it just comes up in the top of my mind all the time. Me and Sarah got a really nice Airbnb. We were there hanging out. And I think I did 17 videos. <laughs> that seems ridiculous, but maybe my list, maybe my list was 17 videos, whatever it was. There is so much, especially if you're willing to drive a couple hours, the even better stuff further out. But, you know, the heart is Bentonville and there's just so much good stuff in Bentonville. And it just shows like what a vision can do when, you know, people who have the means, the Walmart Walton Foundation works with, you know, stakeholders in the community and then all the volunteers come through and then professional trail builders and this this magical thing of people wanting to get something done and then it actually happening. And now it's going to be this beacon of hope, I think, in the mountain bike world where people are going to travel to there who are stakeholders and people with money and, you know, senators and congressmen, and mayors from all over the country, I hope, visit Bentonville and see like, whoa, this is just dirt trails. We could do make all this change with just digging dirt around. This is crazy. Yeah, and it's, it's been kind of a case study, too, because with as many trail building companies are there, they can kind of refine their craft. Oh, that's exactly what it is. It's the golden era of trail building, for sure. All these guys are competing against each other. Like when I went and visited Aaron from Rock Solid, you could see he was doing different stuff. And then uh, Woody from Progressive Trail Design, he's got his angle on how he likes to do stuff. So it's a battle. It's like all these different companies are in a battle for who can do the most fun, the biggest, the baddest, the coolest looking, and we are the benefits. The free market, <laughs> when it's a battle like that, we are the benefit. Yeah. And I think, speaking of Aaron and Rock Salad, you did a video with Aaron and Rock Salad. And I think that might have been Devil's Den, correct? Exactly. That was Devil's Den before it was actually officially fully open. Man, that place is, that's Instagram worthy going there with the dripping caves and all the different rock work and stuff. And oh, man, amazing. 
So do you have a, you know, it's always tough to pick favorites, right? But do you have, like, if you were to go back there now, is there, would you base out of Bentonville still, or would you maybe go down to Fayetteville or would you do something a little bit different? I would still base myself out of Bentonville because just being able to roll over to Kohler, just being able to roll over to all American slaughter pen trails, there's even more, there's hand cut hollow and there's like the medieval trails. There's more and more. And, you know, staying downtown ish enough to go to the restaurants and kind of, you feel that vibe when you go to the meteor. And so that as a home base is the best for sure. But the second I can, I'm going to drive down to Mount Nebo two and a half hours away and go ride that because Mount Nebo is amazing. It's one of the Arizona state or Arkansas state parks, uh, monument trails, just like devil's den and a couple other ones. And Mount Nebo was so good. I, I really, really liked that. And I kind of hyped it up a lot. One of my buddies, Eric from BCPOV was like, yeah, I don't know. It, I don't think it was running as good as it was when you rode it. We, I felt like it was kind of pedally. I was like, ah, I've been talking this thing up nonstop forever. And when I hear one of my favorite people is like, yeah, it was okay. I was, like, what? It was just okay. I had a blast that day. Yeah, that's, well, that's the great thing about what they have going on is that there's literally trails for every personality of rider out there. Most definitely. It's really quite cool. There is tough tech. You just got to go out to the Buffalo Outdoor Center in Ponca and you've got all your tough tech. And then, oh, dang it. The other one, there's so many, they're all off the top of my head, but there are different. Was it Lake Leatherwood? I think it was Lake Leatherwood that has like big jumps and stuff at the top. But yeah, there's definitely something for everyone. And for me, more time to practice my jumps that I never practice. And uh, it they're doing something really, really special out there. Yeah. And speaking of that, you did uh, a ride series with Rich Drew. And then I think you also rode at, was it Ponker or was it Mount Nebo that you went to Rich Drew or went with Rich Drew to go ride? Yeah, it was Ponca that I rode with Rich Drew, trying to keep up with him on some hairy descents, and it was great. It was that that's really fun doing the ride series clinic, the jumping clinic. It actually did make a couple things lock in, but just like if you take a Spanish for one semester and then you never speak Spanish again, you know you have your little base, but you got to speak Spanish more, and I got to jump a lot more and get my practice in. But I felt like I had a couple different things when I practiced with Rich, where I was like, okay, okay. And I've always feel bad for like Rich where it's like, okay, this guy still can't jump. Did I even do anything, even though we spent a day together and everything? Yeah. And that is so true. I mean, it's, he sets up a good setup where he has the, the hopper ramps and stuff like that. And he brought his ride series to lacrosse last summer as well, which worked out really good. It sold out every single day he was here. And, oh wow! but it, it's true. Like I'm, I'm newer to jumping as well. And it's having that hopper ramp, or if you had a hopper ramp to be able to practice on regularly, which I think you just spoke about in your last YouTube video at Everstoke, or no, that was when you were working about, you were working Livestream, on the wheels. Maybe. Yeah, yeah you putting exactly. the wheels on. And somebody, and, somebody had actually suggested it, and I'm like, wow, yeah, I never really thought of that. And where I live, without giving away where I live, it's kind of a big hill, so it's like, eh, I'd have to put it in the van, go take it somewhere at a park and stuff, and then practice. But that's deliberate practice. That's instead of like, oh, I could just set it up in the backyard and do it. So it's a... Uh, yeah, a little bit harder. Excuses, excuses. Let's go into Everstoke. For those that don't know what Everstoke is, let's get the backstory and what you have going on there. Yeah, I've, you know, I think all of us who are into mountain biking or the outdoors have always kind of dreamed of, oh man, it'd be so cool to own some big piece of land and build some cabin on it or something like that. So I've always had that idea kicking around in the back of my head. And really, with my channel, I have this huge reach. So if I 
you know, buy some piece of land or even a, a residential house that I could put on Airbnb or do like a short term rental thing. I think I could get a lot of people to do it because I could have a little menu of rides. Hey, if you if you rent this little place, there's five rides here and that's what you, you're coming to stay for. So this idea has just been kicking around in my head for years and years. And I just always had little Zillow alerts set up for different things, plots of land for houses and Everstoke. It's in it's in Graygle, Blairsden Graygle area, which is, you know, very not dead centered, but pretty good centered for a bunch of rides in the La Sierra. It's an hour to Downeyville. It's like five minutes to the base of Mills Peak, which is a really cool ride. And uh, Mount Elwell, Jameson Creek, which are a couple of rides that I need to do on my channel. As soon as the snow melts to show people like some really cool rides, then an hour up the road is Mount Huff, which is a really big shuttle ride. And the Sierra Buttes Trail Stewardship, which is kind of, you know, Downeyville was the first thing that came out of that. They are one of the best trail advocacy, you know, uh, groups in the world because they're getting stuff done. They're getting new trail built in California, one of the hardest, most restrictive places to get anything done. And they're doing it. And they've been they spent past probably the past 20 years and more advocating and running into roadblocks and figuring out, OK, so you say we can't do it this way. Why not? What if we did it this way? And what if we did it that way? So they have the machine going. They have trail work. They have money coming in from lots of different sponsors and and grants. So they are really, really a driving force of, you know, I was talking to Greg Williams. We happened to be on the same shuttle and in, in December we were doing a Mount Huff ride and he said, we have 90 miles of shovel ready single track approved. And before that, I had heard 70 miles and now it's 90 miles and then it's going to be 300 miles. You know, who knows how long? Yeah. And they're doing their big connected communities thing where they want to connect, I think, 15 communities or something like that via trail. Exactly. And so there will be an, an Everstoke backyard the, the, that if they're connecting all those communities, there will be a trail right behind our property in Everstoke because there's, you know, it's going to be everything. So that's kind of the idea. Maybe we'll get some campsites going at first. We're really just it's starting from scratch. It's a raw piece of land. We've got a well. We've got an outhouse. We're getting septic. We're getting power kind of sort of set up. It's like totally from scratch, totally blood, sweat and tears and so much money. It's like, oh, that's 20,000. Oh, that's 20,000. Oh, that's only 7,000. Oh. So little by little, hopefully this season we'll be able to clear some campsites and I'm going to open it up to my Patreon people to kind of beta test and kind of figure out what the heck we're doing and get some people out there and Little by little, we'll do it, but it, it's super intimidating, super complex, and uh, but really fun. Every time me and Aaron go out there and we camp out, it's just when the sun is out, it is amazing. And you have been building trail up there too, correct? Yes, Aaron has been the trail boss out there, just basically sketching out our rough skeleton of what we could have. And then as we get that scratched in, we'll be build little wood features and this and that and kind of just fun. Fun is always the factor of our trails. And we never want the Everstoke trails to be really the destination. We want them to be really good. But really, the destination is the surrounding area that the Sierra Bees Trail Stewardship is creating and has created already, but will keep on, keep on, keep on in the next 10 years. So as they create more trails, we'll create more lodging, hopefully little by little, where people can come and it will be hopefully a little uh, pilgrimage that people can make. They've seen it in the videos and then they see it in real life. Yeah. And the whole Downeyville region is, it is a true inspiration because they have a lot going on. And like you said, it's super 
difficult to get stuff done in California. And they're not only are they getting connected communities, they're doing it with e-bikes and stuff too. Exactly. So one of the biggest things for this whole push is that these communities have been, you know, totally flattened. I, I don't like to use the word decimated because if you look up the, the, the definition of decimated, it means reduced by 10%. They've been reduced by much more than 10%. You know, they are flattened and, you know, it was all old, you know, way back when gold mining and then logging and then other, you know, mountain type things. And they don't have a good economy. And so a tourism economy can provide a lot of jobs. It can create restaurants and lodging. And, you know, the locals might hate it because ah, all these tourists and stuff, but the tax revenue and the vitality of being able to live out in some of these places can come from that. To put this into perspective, Downeyville and that isn't really that far of a drive from, say, the Reno airport, correct? Is that the closest airport? No, exactly. So, so Everstoke Gray Eagle is one hour from Reno. And it's it's a, a straight shot and then another hour to Downeyville. So two hours to the bottom of Downeyville where you would get your shuttle or whatever. But yeah, closest airport, Reno. It's a major airport. So that's another factor. There's all these little factors going into why choose this piece of land. It's got some rugged elevation, which is going to make it horrible to ever try to build a building on. But it's going to make it fun to build trails on. And uh, all these little factors. Gray Eagle, the town, has a gas station, has a little store. It has you know, cell phone service. We were not out in the boonies enough to not have cell phone service. So it was really a perfect match. You know, there's still some creative ways you can get buildings built on steep property. I've been watching this, this, uh, A-frame complex go up from, from afar or basically from Instagram in the Pisgah area. And they're building all these A-frames on stilts because it's, oh, wow, it's on I'll the side of a hill. Out. You know, Ooh. and so it's kind of, you know, and I, anybody that knows me knows I have like a huge infatu- infatuation with A-frames. And so like, that's one of the things that pops up in my Instagram feed all the time. And all of a sudden I see this, I think they call it the wrong way campground or something. Cool. And they just, they just have a row of A-frames going up. And so, you know, if you can get outside of that, that box and just think about different ways that you can do stuff without actually impacting the land too, that, you know, there's, there's definitely potential. And everything is possible with money. That's the, it's like, hey, you could build it floating in the air if you wanted to, but it's just actually little by little of like, okay, how, what can we afford? How can we do this? Well, part of part of the one of the other things you're into is Trail One. Yeah, Trail One components. It's a whole pivot away from Everstoke into Trail One, but let's talk about Trail One and maybe go far back because it sounds like in what I've listened to both you talk about, and then also with the worldwide wide cyclery, that's an idea that didn't just come about yesterday. It sounds like it came about potentially like four years ago. Yeah. Yeah. We basically, yeah, we've been cooking this for four years, kind of an idea of, okay, my livelihood depends on me making YouTube videos and that's a, a treadmill and I'm happy to do it. And I love making the videos, but you know, if I get injured or if I want to retire someday, there will come a day where it's a faucet that you just turn off and then oh, that's it. OK, now I got to work at McDonald's or whatever. So always had in the back of my mind, OK, what if I could start up a company where we get this thing up and running? It doesn't even need to have me as a face or a name and it's just its own little entity. But of course, I'm going to use my channel to get it up and running. And, you know, bike components are such a cool thing to work on because 
it, it's just amazing. We can come up with a really good brand talking about the trails, giving back to the trails, and then come up with really good components. And really what made it all come together is Jeff uh, from Worldwide Cyclery. He's a CEO genius and basically has all these friends in the bike industry. We've got kind of a silent partner, or silent partner manufacturing guy. Jeff is more the logistics guy because he has warehouses all over, all over the country with Worldwide Cyclery. I'm kind of a marketing guy because I can you know, tell stories and take people for a ride on YouTube. And then we have an awesome industrial designer that's designed for race face for you know, 20 years or so, Colm O'Kane. He's out in Ireland and he's our guy like actually building the stem from scratch and SolidWorks and then getting them made and, and doing the samples and doing the grips. And yeah, it's quite a thing where, you know, many YouTubers, the thing is like you white label your products, you make uh, gym gear or you make hats or something like that. And it's a brand, but we actually are creating a real sustainable, badass brand from scratch that is going to tell all kinds of awesome stories, but also have a huge foundation of really legit engineering and awesome components. Yeah, let's talk about how you've named some of the, the components. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love it. That, that's kind of my favorite part is when I think about Trail One I, and I think about other companies, there's all kinds of awesome companies. There's all kinds of people and stories behind those companies, but I'm not going to pick on any of the big companies, but I kind of know the founder's stories on some of them. I know uh, from Specialized, I think he imported Italian bike parts like in the 60s or 70s because they couldn't find a certain thing. And then you figure out just like Phil Knight did with Nike, you have he was an importer as well. Like we imported shoot Onitsuka Tikers and then he went to the factories and he's like making friends with these guys. He's like, wait, I could just make my own at the same factory and kind of have a better story and tell tell better things instead of just this brand that kind of gets it done. And then eventually, of course, you can innovate where at first you're just importing these products. And at first we're just engineering these products as best we can. But then, you know, later on down the road, we can actually fully engineer and come out with something to market that has never been done before, something super innovative. So little by little, but all that to get uh, distracted about the names of the products are all named for trail systems or trails in particular that I've ridden that have a story connected to them that matter to me that have been in my videos. And for every doll for every product we sell, we donate back a dollar to those trail systems. So it's really quite a cool thing and we're gonna have our first one thousand dollar donation to the crockett hills very very soon and i can't wait to announce that on my instagram and kind of show that we we mean what we say it's not just like a weird like oh yeah a dollar for the trails like once we actually start getting some money out there and showing off that oh these guys built the new signs because of this these guys bought some tools because of this and that hopefully that wheel gets spinning and shows that we care so where is the crockett trails located so it's not far from where I grew up, basically. It's called Crockett, California. So probably 45 minutes from San Francisco and on the bay. So uh, yeah, that's where I first got into mountain biking with my Uncle Dennis. He was a fitness cardio freak kind of guy. He was a carpenter by a trade. But on the weekends, he really liked to go, go, go and get a bunch of stuff done. And I would hang out with him. That's how I could actually spend time with my uncle and have great times with him. And we would go ride the Crockett Hills. And that was before there was actually trails. It was just all fire roads. So we would do these, you know, get up at five in the morning because he'd like to get up early on Saturday to be able to go for a ride and then have the rest of his day. We get up early on a Saturday morning, go ride the Crockett Hills, do 3000 feet of climbing on all fire roads. And he would just whoop my butt on all the climbs. And I would just try to keep up because I like the conversation. So you launched this in, in fall of 2021. November. Yeah. Yeah. 
What products were you using before you launched it to test them? Did you have, were you able to beta test any of the stuff like so, the grips or anything to kind of like see how you liked them? Yeah, totally. And we had quite a few different iterations and samples and stuff like that. And I was, I had like the grips that we had on my bike probably for a year, at least a year before we actually were able to kind of, it's a weird thing, right? I don't know. Looking back, I kind of feel like it would have been okay to just launch with the grips first, but to have a portfolio is really nice. Like, cause the grips were quick and easy. And then the stem was like a nightmare. And then <laughs> the handlebars were not as bad. And so like when you're sourcing these products and working with the manufacturers and all that stuff, we wanted to launch with like the full cockpit just to be like, Hey, we're not just some rinky dink company. We're out here and doing it. So yeah, I had the grips on my bike for at least a year. So there was enough feedback. But, you know, those grips were like the production grips. I had a couple of prototype and samples. They didn't change much. We changed like the font on some things. And then the bars I had on for quite a while and uh, just had tape over stuff. And every once in a while, someone would make a comment like that. Those look kind of different, but it's never it was never like a really clear shot, I think, of, of everything going on. So to be able to launch and say, hey, we got it. This is it. We're doing it is awesome. Yeah. The reason why I asked that is because I was re- I was rewatching some of the 50 state shred stuff last night for research on this. And I could swear that I noticed that those grips looked familiar. Yeah. 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 And yeah, that might've been a year and a half. That might've been two years that I had those, for, those grips on there for sure. Yeah. Cause I, it, they have a distinct look to them and it's, you know, so it's super interesting. It seems like they have padding in different places that other grip companies don't put padding in other places. Yeah. And that was kind of the cool, that's, you know, I've, readily admit that I'm not like a gear geek kind of guy. And I've always talked about that. My obsession has always been with the trails and the destinations and where am I going to go next and what are the best things? And that's a really cool thing with trail one, the treasury where we're going to donate money. But also I have my trail one list, which I want to be like a, a Michelin mountain bike guide. Like the Michelin guide is all the restaurants that are the fanciest and the nicest, but I want to do a mountain bike list that is the best, you know, the most fun rides. There's the IMBA epics and you know, I've done a couple of them. I've done some that are awesome. Then I've done some that are like, did this just get in here? Cause it's more than 20 miles, a single track. So, you know, the hangovers by example is one of the, on the trail one, the first thing that I put on the trail one list, crazy ride. It's hellacious. It's, it's double black diamond. It's not for the faint of heart. It's only nine miles long, but it is literally one of the most fun rides in the world. Top tier mountain biking. So I felt like my lens of what I've seen over the past six years of riding all over the world. And I don't know if there's another person that's ridden more trails in more different places than me. I'd, it'd be very interesting to meet that guy and, or, or lady and, and see what they really like. But uh, all that to say, I, I kind of distracted myself to the trail one list and all the other stuff. But all that to say that that's my expertise is the trails and the give back and the, that stuff. But Jeff from Worldwide Cyclery, he has like this downhill racer background. So he is super nerdy about the grips and the grip width. And what about doing this and the neurals? And then we've got Colm, our designer in Ireland, who's the same way. So those guys really bounce those ideas back and forth. And then Liam, who works at Worldwide Cyclery, you'll see him in some of the videos. He is awesome technical as well. So those three guys are like the technical detail guys of like, okay, this and that, where I'm like, hey, what if we, what if we did gray? That might be cool. <laughs> like, where those guys really get the technical details ironed out. And I, I we're, we have meetings once a week and I sit in those meetings. And I'm like, wow, I am so out of my depth with the manufacturing side, the logistics side, the technical side. It's like we have these pro people working on this thing all to become something so cool. Yeah. 
Are you using the stem also? Oh yeah, yeah. Stem for sure. The Rockville stem and the the Crockett bars and the Hell's Gate grips, of course. So since we're since we're geeking out on things that neither of us probably geek out on, one of the and I did not have this on the topics, but I've had it in the back of my mind. One of the things that you've done and you talked about it pretty openly on your live feed was you moved from one bike size to another on, on Ibis. Yeah. How's that been going? Man, it's so interesting. People are so fascinated by this topic too. I get so many emails like at least once a week of somebody asking about spike sizing and all this stuff. And so I'm five foot, 10 inches, whatever that is in centimeters. So I'm always kind of in between sizes and I've kind of always ridden large sizes when I was riding Santa Cruz and then the Orbea was large. And then when I would do demo bikes, I would usually do a large, I think I remember riding a, a Yeti that was a medium and I was like, wait a second, this feels like the best bike I've ever ridden. What's going on here? And then when I was in Hawaii of all places in 2019, not 2020. So I kind of have done all 50 states on my channel, by the way, but uh, it just wasn't in 2020. But uh, I rode a medium Ritmo in Hawaii and felt fine. It was like my knees were knocking against the frame or whatever. So when uh, when Ibis said, hey, let's get you on a new frame for this year. I said, let's do medium. I really want to try medium and just see. And I feel like that first ride I did in a really pretty gnarly place called Angwin, which is around Napa Valley, basically. And that first ride, I felt the bike whip around faster than it had been. And there's got to be a difference. Large and medium, it's a little bit smaller, so it's got to be a little more nimble. And from then on, it's kind of snapped in where it's like, wow, it is quicker. But now if I went back to the large, maybe I would be able to tell like, oh, that is a little bit slower. But it was that first ride where I was like, wow, this this actually feels that step faster. And as mountain bikers, we get so, I think you get so used to it. You feel your... I feel my bike. I've actually just put on the new Ibis wheels, the Blackbird Send aluminum wheels. And I feel like those wheels are faster than my previous carbon wheels. And it's, I let off the brakes and they roll faster. And finally, after 12 years of mountain bike, I'm starting to actually be a little more technical and realize these differences, but it's, it's taking quite a while. So yeah, all that to say, as I, as I keep rambling on, all that to say, I haven't had any problems with the medium. I, it's a hundred percent go for me. It's medium frames all the way. Then my wife, Sarah, is also medium. So as soon as we can get her on like a, a Ripley or Ibis Ripley or something like that, it would be awesome because then we could, hey, my bike's down, your bike's down, swap parts and be on the same size frame is like a, a lot less headaches. Yeah, and that's, you know, as bikes have evolved, like they have, especially in recent years with the whole long, low and slack thing, you know, I'm kind of, I'm 5'8", and so, and I ride for a Trek, you know, the, the shop that supports the show is a Trek dealer. And they have a medium large, so they kind of have in-between sizing as, yeah. as they can do from, you know, because they're a larger manufacturer. Volume. Yeah. And so I have traditionally been on a medium large top fuel, but I recently acquired, uh, which I had an order for a very long time, a, a Slash, which is their big Enduro bike. And I was looking at the numbers and, I, and I'm like, well, you know, that thing is, it's, it's a huge bike when it comes to wheelbase, right? And so I went to a medium because I'm on the short side of what of a person that would ride a medium large. So I decided I'd go with the medium. And then I got the slash. And while I really do enjoy the medium, it's it's a, actually there's a lot of things about that bike that surprise the crap out of me. And the biggest thing is how good it turns or corners in low speed technical climbing turns, which I would have never expected out of a big, long enduro bike. Right. Yeah. More control. You know, so hindsight being 2020, I probably would have been really good on the medium large. But the medium has been amazing. And so it's interesting as, you know, because I, I often question the whole, 
sizing thing also, because you look at how bikes have gotten bigger, but they've changed so many things about bikes, you know, Definitely. with the seat tube angle and the head tube angle and everything that they're just, we're in a time where bikes are better than ever. And naturally they should be because just like everything in life, we improve, but I don't feel that we've been where we've seen improvements like this so quickly as we have in the last maybe three to four years. Yeah, definitely. And my advice, when I get those emails, I try to give some honest advice, but really you have to go demo these bikes, you know, go to Moab. There's a ton of Ritmos available in Moab. When I was, I did my little, uh, climbing up porcupine rim video. I don't know if you know, you saw that or not, but I climbed up porcupine rim, which was really fun. Uh, I saw a ton of Ritmo rental bikes coming down. So there's a ton of Ritmos for demo in Moab. There's, you know, go to a mountain bike destination that has rentals and get your butt on the bike you're looking for. Cause otherwise you're just, you, uh, you just don't know. And people agonize. It's a ton of money to spend on something that you don't even know if it's going to work or not. I remember me and my brother, we both bought our bikes online from backcountry.com, you know, 10 years ago. Now at this point, 2012, uh, we, I, he got the pivot, uh, whatever it was, Mach 5.7 at that time. And then I got the Yeti SB66 and we were both like, oh, I don't know, let's get it. And his was fine. I think mine, my, I, I had a large, but I switched to a medium or something like that, like where I sent it back and, you know, backcountry is totally fine with that. And we just pulled the trigger and rode the bikes and they were great, but it's quite a lot to jump into. And that's back when the bike was like $4,000 complete or $5,000 complete because we had a 20% off coupon. A little bit different now. The bikes have gotten better, but they're also $12,000. Yeah, for sure. And harder to get a hold of. But with that being said, you know, a lot of these bigger ride destinations like the Moab that you just talked about and the Sedonas and that, they have dealers that do have really quality rental fleets. Yeah, it's awesome. That's finally more and more and more, which is tough because of the supply chain and all that stuff. But yeah, over or Thunder Mountain Bikes in Sedona and then Over the Edge and uh, Hurricane Utah, like a lot of these places, if it's a good place to ride, they will have some good bikes. And then you have Outer Bike, which I've never, I've been yeah. to Bentonville when Outer Bike has been happening, but I've never participated in Outer Bike. And that happens in a couple different places now. Yeah, I've been a couple times, man, I, I have a like kind of a love hate relationship with Outer Bike because basically you have to get there. It's like waiting online for the next Star Wars movie where you have to get there early in the morning and then they open the gates and everyone runs for the bikes. So it's this weird stampede thing, which uh, it's just like, okay, uh, get to the bike and then you get to demo it. And then uh, it's just weird. The supply and the demand are just all out of whack. And then, you know, if you get there a little bit later or everybody has the bikes you want, then you're kind of, oh, these guys have bikes. Uh yeah, I wasn't really interested in buying that bike. So outer bike, awesome. It's fun. There's all kinds of stuff. But if you have your heart set on something and you're going to outer bike, you, you better be camping out in, in the line the night before. <laughs> set up your tent. Yeah. And it's probably easier just to look at like the Ibis demo fleet calendar. And eventually these, uh, you know, Ibis has, you know, a demo fleet in Santa Cruz, just like Santa Cruz bikes does. And I think even specialized does they sped up like a flagship store in santa cruz proper and uh they're all closed right now i think due to covid so it's like eventually more stuff will open back up to be able to test out bikes but that's what we got yeah and i've noticed um a couple of the different couple different brands have uh have advertised that their demo fleets are going to start kicking off again this summer traveling around in that and so now that 
maybe now that things are starting to settle down or at least people have a better handle on on protocol and whatnot, we'll see these demo fleets start traveling across the country again. Yeah, definitely. Sedona Mountain Bike Fest as well. They do a lot of demos there and I don't know how it works. I think it is kind of a smash and grab kind of thing where they open up and everyone runs for the bike and stuff. But usually I remember Ibis, you know, like, don't quote me on this, but Ibis will sometimes like take kind of reservations for the next day, like on their little whiteboard if you didn't happen to get to ride one of their bikes. And I remember it. I did Sedona Mountain Bike Fest in November and it seemed like Ibis had a ton of bikes. Ibis is a sponsor, by the way. <laughs> I'm wearing the, the hat and talking about them, but that's that's my uh, experience. Yeah. Well, you got to support the people that support you. And so it's important to to get, you know, to let people know about Ibis. And Ibis is a pretty awesome brand and they do cover a pretty broad spectrum of bikes from their new XC cross-country bike to the gravel bike and then the Ripley and the Ripmo. And the e-bike that hasn't come out that maybe never will come out that is, you know, there's not even a rumor, but I want the e-bike. I want to be able to go to Downeyville <laughs> and do big old 50-mile rides. Uh-oh. Brian's starting rumors about Ibis getting an e-bike, so. <laughs> uh, that's just in my hope. That's just in my yeah. heart that I hope they they do one. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, with that being said, and I know you try to keep things on the down, though. Are there any things, anything in 2022 that you want to talk about that's going on? What is going on? I'm just going to, uh, yeah, keep making videos, get some good ride videos out there. Keep going with Trail One. We'll get a few more things. Yeah, what is... Uh, Everstoke? Yeah, it's all kind of fun. Yeah, exactly. More Everstoke. It's funny how things, I juggle all, all these things at once. And it, usually every year, except for 2020 and 2021, I would have international trips kind of blocked off and like, oh, I'm going to go to New Zealand. I'm going to go to Australia. And, you know, I had a plan a trip to Israel in July, in January, but that just as everything seemed like it, everything was like, okay, everything's good. And then Om Omicron started. And so it was like, I first time I ever bought refundable plane tickets and it actually mattered, got my money back for that. But, uh, so yeah, it's kind of a weird, uh, in between zone still where I want to get out and travel internationally for sure. It's just, uh, well with that, do you have any closing comments, pieces of advice, stuff we haven't talked about that you'd like to, to get off your chest, man, I, I feel like even though I am this person that travels and does all this stuff, I still find myself in a little bit of a funk. So if you have a place you haven't ridden or you haven't ridden in a long time, just get up and go take a day off from work and just go and like pack up the, the bike. Just go solo because there's a bunch of places over this past month that I've had on my trail forks wish list. And I finally went and rode them and I was like, whoa, this is a totally awesome surprise. Like it's been hiding out in plain sight and I just never got around to it. So try to get around to it. We're going to backtrack. You just posted a video and it looked pretty incredible. I can't remember the name of the trail, but it was in California and it was something pipe. Oh, pipeline. Yeah. Pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. That I was just watching that. I think on Saturday. Yeah. And that was, looked incredible. It was incredible. That was one. That was one where maybe I'd gotten a couple emails, but they all kind of, I brushed them off a little bit where I was like, I don't know. And then I saw some, another YouTuber, Tony, the outsider had posted a video and I was like, what, what the heck? This is like two hours away from me. I'm getting in the car and driving down and uh, checking it out. So yeah, backyard, not quite backyard, but there's a, where I live in the Bay area, there's a really good radius. If, if you go two hours, you can, you can hit a lot of good mountain biking. Yeah. And that, I mean, I was, I was kind of marveling at how that trail seemed to meander from one side of this look like a drainage draw to, to the other side. Yeah. And it's purpose-built mountain bike. Those were, I think it was, uh, 
dang it, Highway 67 Hillbillies, something like that. I forget the number of the highway, but I think that was kind of, I don't know if it was bootleg at first, but it is blessed by the Toro Park. Uh, you know, the, the regional park actually blesses that trail and those guys go in and fix it and keep it all going. But uh, I think uh, at first it might have been bootleg because the way it's built is just so cool that it's like, I, there's no way the park built this. It's it's only only maniacs with shovels would build this awesome trail. Yeah, and they even had their own branded gates. I remember yeah, watching that scene in the video. so cool. That was so cool. I'm so glad that gate was there, too, because, you know, it escapes me sometimes to give a shout out to the trail stewardships, because if the story isn't tied together completely, it doesn't always fit because it's a weird, weird thing. But in California, where, you know, where I grew up, like the Crockett Hills Park, it's the there is a trail stewardship and they're doing a lot more work now. but when it's a like a county park or a city park it just does it just appears overnight there was just single track trails one day and i was like what who who did this what is this how is this how can i get involved like what there's just no information it's just a kind of a mystery but now at more and more with social media and stuff there is more coming out but uh yeah it's it's just kind of funny how certain places own that message of hey this doesn't happen without you getting involved and then certain places you show up, you ride, you go home. Who knows who built it? Who knows who takes care of it? That I don't care. I just I just ride it. Yeah. Well, Brian, as always, this has been incredible. I always love watching your videos and hearing your stories because similar with, with this journey that I'm doing with this podcast, there's so much out there and you learn about so much because people reach out to you. You know, I had an interview that just came out today about the Cortez Dolores, Colorado Southwest Trail Alliance, Southwest Colorado Cycling Association. And, you know, I got to meet Sean Gregory and that guy has built a ton of trail in his community and he's branching out into areas like Arizona and that And his story is incredible. You know, it's started hiding out building in plain sight. What's that? He's hiding in plain sight. Yeah. I mean, he's, I've, I mean, I have heard, I've heard of Phil's trails and maybe you've heard of Phil's yeah. trails, yeah. And, but I didn't put two and two together until, you know, somebody from his organization said, Hey, you should interview this guy. You know, and I'm like, okay. And That's then I did great. a little research on him and he st he was, he's an entrepreneur. He started out as a teenager making security boxes for Jeeps because Jeeps are pretty, you know, wide open for getting Easy, stuff yeah. stolen out of, you know, and he went and parlayed that and sold that company. Now he's doing trail building. And then he, wow. he did it. He started out making maps because he, people were getting lost on his local trails and he wanted more people riding his local trails because more people riding the trails better trails yeah you know and, and i'm sure awesome. you've came across that a bunch of times in all the places you've gone and so it's just incredible to get these stories out and to to hear what people are doing yeah it's the best and it, it's it's neat to see different mindsets there's certain places that don't want more people on their trails they don't want everyone to come but my mindset is very much it, you more people reasonably more people hopefully not totally overloaded and all that stuff but there's always solutions for that we've seen in different places if you do directional mountain bike only single track a trail can support thousands of users in a day somehow versus multi-use two direction which causes more conflict so there's, there's always ways to to keep uh, everybody happy man i have pushed the directional agenda so hard locally and and i've seen it you know i think it's i think it's in scotland there's some like super super high use trails trail network and the reason why they can get away with it is because everybody's going the same direction Wow. 
I, and this is maybe an extreme example, but I kind of equate it to think about golfing. Like what if you want golfing at each other? (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, that's a great analogy. Or even thinking about the Whistler bike park, right? It's, there's a bunch of people at the bottom. There's a bunch of people at the top, but then, yeah, you might run into a person kind of pulled off the side, but the magic of going with the flow. Yeah. Of riding through, just like playing through. It's easier that way than, than coming around a corner and (laughs) abruptly being like, Oh, Hey, how's it going? You know? And, Everybody wants to be nice, you know, and yes, well, Brian, again, I, I appreciate it. And, and this will be good to get, you know, to get more, more stuff out about trail one and Everstoke and your, your YouTube channel is a huge inspiration. And I know it's inspired a lot of people to travel to a lot of different places. And, and that's what, you know, that's why we do what we do. Definitely. That's what it's all about because travel is awesome. I've always loved travel, but when you can travel with your bike, and you get the food and you get the people and you get the different culture and you get the awesome adrenaline rush experience. It's the total package. I, I feel like I'm selling the best medicine and that's what I hope people can take is like, Oh yeah, I went to there. I went to Bentonville. Oh, I went to North Carolina. It was amazing. And I have nothing but like no guilt in that. It's not cigarettes. It's not booze. Now it's mountain biking and mountain biking is good. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you consume your audio content. It will ensure you have the latest content by Trail Effect, and it will help the show as well. Also, please take the time to leave a rating and a review wherever you consume your podcasts. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.